place where you can grab a seat. So I'm excited that all of you braved a, a little bit of snow. I don't know what happened when Western New Yorkers got afraid of snow. Like it was like a big surprise and it's all a big news story. It's like, it's January. It's kind of going to do this every year as it turns out. So but I'm glad you all joined us. Uh, right now there's more content being created in the world every day than in any time in history previously. I did a little bit of research to try and figure out how much content is being created, and it was hard to even wrap my mind around how much content is being created. They say that right now, 328.77 million terabytes of content is being created every single day. It's an insane amount of content that's being created. It's hard to even really wrap your mind around it. And if you just went back to 2010, from 2010 until now, there's 60 times the amount of content being created every day in 2023 as there was in 2010. So just an insane amount of content. And in 2023, half of the content that was created was video. So I say that to say that we are processing more content today than any people that have ever walked the face of the earth before. And it's hard to really know what the ramifications of that are going to be, and it'll probably take a lot of years and a lot of research to understand fully what the ramifications of processing all the content that we are processing on a daily basis really is. So I can't possibly know all the ramifications, but I can look at some things and see what I think are probably some of the ramifications of processing that much content. We have stress and anxiety at an all-time high. People's ability to cope with life is at an all-time low. People's ability to handle trauma is extremely low. Our resilience is probably lower than it's ever been before. We know that what we consume in terms of our physical diet has a huge impact on our body. Um, we know that if we have a steady diet of McDonald's, eventually we're going to start to look like a Big Mac, as it turns out. And that, that's true for our physical body, but it's probably even more true for our minds and for our spirit. What we consume plays a big part in how we feel about life and how we look at the world around us. And what we consume isn't just simply what we consume in terms of food. It's what we see with our eyes, what we, what we take in with our ears. That's the, the change from 2010 all the way to 2023 in terms of the content that's being produced in the United States today. And I think in a lot of ways, we are reaping what we have consumed. You know, we usually say you reap what you sow. I think in a lot of ways, we are reaping what we consume. When we look at the mental health of the people around us, and we look at the spiritual decline in the world around us, I think we are reaping what we have consumed. All of the content, whether we realize it or not, the content that we consume, what you listen to, what you watch, all of that helps make up our worldview. It influences how we see the world around us, and it influences how we feel about our lives. Whether you realize it or not, right now, the way that you see the world and how you feel about your life is largely a reflection of the content that you've consumed. If you consume content regularly from someone who's angry, you're probably going to feel pretty angry about life and about the world. If you consume content from someone who says the world has fallen apart and it's, we're never going to recover from this, 
then you're probably going to feel like life is pretty hopeless. We end up looking at the world through a filter of the content that we consume. So I want to ask you this morning, what kind of content do you normally consume? What do you listen to? What do you watch? I'm not even necessarily saying that it's all bad. I'm sure some of it is totally fine. But is the content that you're consuming building your faith? Is it causing you to see the world around you the way that God sees it? Is it causing you to love your family the way that God does? Is it causing you to love people around you the way that that God does? Is it causing you to see the world through the kingdom of God or through some other worldview altogether? I was listening to a sermon not that long ago from a pastor in southwest Florida, and he was talking about this very thing. He was talking about the content that his congregation was consuming. In his particular situation, the, many of the people in his congregation are retired. Southwest Florida is kind of like the retirement capital of the world. The weather's beautiful there, and so people go there to retire. In fact, my, the rest of my family is actually in Southwest Florida this weekend because the weather was nicer there than it was here, so they left and left me here by myself. So this, this pastor was talking about the content that the people in his congregation were consuming, and most of the content that the people in his congregation were consuming was about retirement because those people were retired. And so they were listening to and watching and reading content about retirement. So he kind of like took a poll from a bunch of people in his church and started like asking them, what content are you reading? What are you watching? What are you listening to? And so he got a bunch of information from them and he took a couple of months and he started consuming the content himself that the people in his congregation were consuming. He listened to lots of podcasts and watched videos and read books. He consumed the same content that they were consuming. Eventually, at the end of that time, he said there was three main themes that he found in the content that the people in his congregation were consuming. The first theme was to live your best life. The second theme was to enjoy the years that you have left. And the third one was to do what makes you happiest. So these were the three themes in the content that the people in his congregation were consuming. And that that isn't really a surprise if you think about that they're retired and that's the type of content that they were looking at. Now, I don't think that this pastor wanted the people in his church to be unhappy. I don't think that was his objective. Like, I want a church full of people that are unhappy. I think he probably wanted them to be happy. But what he said was this content that they were listening to, what it did was it caused them to live a life that was centered around themselves. It caused them to to be so self-focused in the way that they were living their life. He said said it this way. Think about the, the first theme that he saw was to live your best life. Enjoy the years you have left and do what makes you happiest. Most of the people in this congregation, the pastor said, had grown up and spent most of their lives in a relationship with the Lord. And so they grew up with the Lord, and they grew up living their lives for Jesus. And then he asked his congregation a series of questions. He asked them, what happened to living your life for others? What about the fact that your life was bought by Jesus? What about the fact that Jesus is Lord of your life? What about investing in those who come behind you? And then he said Jesus was in the last chapter of his life, like many of you are, speaking to his congregation. 
Jesus was in the last chapter of his life, and what did he do with his time? He served. He washed the feet of his disciples. He gave them instructions. He gave them the information they needed to succeed. He took that which was valuable to him, and he gave it to them. And then when he was hanging on the cross, he looked over and he saved a man who was next to him, and then he looked down and made sure that his mother was well cared for. What this senior pastor was confronting in his congregation was being influenced by the content that you consume. And I would say it's not just that congregation in Southwest Florida that was influenced by the content that they consume. I believe that each one of us are being influenced by the content that we consume. Today my hope is that you will, instead of just realizing that when we're consuming content that's negative or that's produced by someone with a negative worldview, it causes us to see the world in a negative way. My hope is that you'll realize that you can consume content that was literally created by the living God. And the content that was created by the living God has the power to transform your life and my life. When we consume the word of God, it changes the way that we see the world, and it literally changes our lives. There was actually some research that was specifically done on this by the Center of Bible Engagement. I didn't know there was such a center, but it turns out there is. The Center of Bible Engagement. And they did some research to find out what is the effect on a person of reading the Bible. What happens to a person when they read the Bible? So they hired a bunch of scientists and doctors to do research on what happens to a person when they consume the Bible. And it was actually a pretty vast study. They studied 40,000 people over an extended period of time to see what happens to a person when they read the Bible. And what they actually expected to happen, the people who funded the project, was they expected to see someone read the Bible for one day a week, and they would see an incremental amount of change in that person's life. And then when the person read the Bible two days a week, they thought that change would probably double, and they would see twice as much change in the person's life. And then when they read the Bible three days a week, they thought that change would triple. And that's kind of what they expected to, to happen, but they didn't say anything about that to the doctors or the scientists. They just let them do their thing and do the study. So they took these 40,000 people from ages 8 to 80, and they started out by asking them to read the Bible one day a week. And they included in that something like a Sunday morning when a pastor might say, could you please open your Bible to this scripture? And they included that as reading your Bible for one day a week. What they actually found was that when someone read the Bible one day a week, there was actually very, very little change in their life. They had all these data points that they followed and all these questions that they would ask these people. And they saw very, very little change in the behavior of a person when they read the Bible one day a week. Then they asked the people to read the Bible two days a week. So they started reading the Bible two days a week, and they actually found the same thing. Again, there was very, very little change in the life of the person that was reading the Bible two days a week. So then they asked them to read the Bible three days a week. So then they started reading the Bible three days a week, and they saw a very small uptick, but still very, very little change in the life of the person who was reading the Bible. Now, the people who are funding this research, when they saw this happening, they started to get kind of concerned, and they're like, this was not at all what we were expecting to happen. Like We thought when people would read the Bible, their lives would change. So then the doctors and the scientists asked people to read the Bible for four days a week. And that what happened was completely shocking to them. Their graph looked like this, and it went like this. Like it jumped 
way through the charts. They, people's lives changed when they went from reading the Bible three days a week to four days a week in ways that they didn't expect at all. I want to read to you some of the changes that they found specifically. One of the data points that they were tracking was if the people who were reading the Bible felt lonely. And when people went from reading the Bible three days a week to reading the Bible four days a week, they found that loneliness dropped by 30%. Anger issues dropped by 32%. Bitterness in relationships. How many could use a little bit less bitterness in your relationships? Bitterness in relationships dropped by 40%. Alcoholism dropped by 57%. Now remember, there was virtually no change happening in the people when they read for three days, but when they went to four days, alcoholism dropped by 57%. Sex outside of marriage dropped by 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped by 60%. Viewing pornography dropped by 61%. Get this one. Sharing your faith jumped by 200%. And discipling others jumped by 230%. So these, these people's lives literally transformed when they went from reading the Bible three days a week to reading the Bible four days a week. The scientists and the doctors said it was as if they were, they were looking at different people. The change was so drastic in the life of the people who went from reading the Bible just three days a week to reading it four days a week. Now, I don't have a, a real clear answer to point to as to why that was, but I wonder, I have a thought as to what it could be. And I wonder if when you start reading the Bible four days a week, that means over half of your week you're being influenced by the Word of God. And over half of your month you're being influenced by the Word of God. And then over half of your year you're being influenced by the Word of God. We need a steady diet of the Word of God in our life. I know this might sound a little bit extreme, but I feel like we're kind of watching a social experiment be played out in front of our eyes right now. The social experiment that I see being played out in front of our lives is what happens when you remove God. What happens when you remove God from schools? How are schools doing compared to how they were when God was allowed to be in schools? What happens when you remove God from a person's life? What happens when you remove God from a family? I feel like this is the experiment we're watching be lived out in front of our eyes right now. And I got to tell you, it is not very good. I don't like the results that I'm seeing in the lives of those people who have decided to remove God from, from their lives. So we have this content that's being pushed at us, that's being in some ways shoved down our throats, other people's worldviews that are being pushed on us and shoved down our throats, this content that's being targeted at us this content that's being targeted at our kids. And it's into that world that I say we need to consume the word of God like we never have before. We cannot let the content that's being produced by the world become the thing that shapes our worldview and shapes how we see ourselves and see our lives. We have to let the word of God be the thing that shapes how we see us. So today in, this, in our Back to the Basics series, I'm going to challenge you to devote yourself to the Word of God, to devote yourself to the Word of God in a new and a fresh way. There's two questions that I want to answer for you today. The first is why read the Bible, and the second is how to read the Bible. So I believe that there's actually no greater way 
to grow in your relationship with God. No greater way to grow in your faith than to do these two things. One of them we talked about was last week is prayer, which Pastor Ben defined as simply talking to God, communicating with God. I think that's actually one of the best ways to grow in your faith. One of the second best ways that I see that we can grow in our faith is by reading the Word of God, by reading the words in the book that he wrote for us with the information that he believed we need to walk out this faith journey that we're on successfully. I want to look this morning at Hebrews chapter 4, and I want to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about the Word of God. Why the Apostle Paul thinks that you and I need to read the Word of God. We're going to read verses 12 and 13 of chapter 4. It says, For the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who we must give account. The first thing that I see there that Paul says is the word of God is living. The word of God is the source of life. And the word of God is alive because God himself is still alive. He rose from the dead and he's sitting on the throne. He is alive today, amen? The word of God is not like a newspaper that you read today and throw out tomorrow and find out that it was riddled with misinformation and lies. The word of God is true and stable and steady and it is always true. I hear people all the time saying, I'm gonna live my truth. And I think to myself when I hear that, well, good luck living your truth because your truth is all over the place. It's here today and there tomorrow and it's unstable and unsteady. The word of God is true. And it's a place that we can stand upon and live our life. So if you feel weak, if you feel dead, if you feel tired or exhausted, I want to encourage you today to commit yourself to the true source of life. And that's the God of the Bible. In the Bible, we find that the Word of God is living. The second thing that we see is the Word of God is active. The Word of God is alive, and it does things. It produces effects on those who consume it. In other words, you can't read the Bible consistently and stay the same. I promise you, if you want to change, if you want to see real change in your life, if you're not happy with where, you, where you're at right now and there are things that you want to see change, Read the Word of God because it will have an effect on you and it will change you. The Word of God will take a broken man and make him whole. The, Lord, the Word of God will take that which is crooked and make it straight. It'll take a person who's insecure and it'll make them secure. It takes the outcast and it places them in a family. It takes the lost and it finds them. It takes the depressed and it brings them joy takes that which is hopeless and creates a path forward that's full of hope. It takes those who are fearful and, and not at ease, and it brings them peace. The Word of God is active. The third thing that Paul says is the Word of God is sharp. He says the Word of God is sharper, actually, than a two-edged sword. It penetrates soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. This isn't Paul giving us an anatomical analysis here. This is Paul talking to the penetrating power of the Word of God. We were sitting in a, a life group uh, back in, uh, in the fall, 
and I was sitting with a group of guys, and we were reading some of the Word of God, and somebody said, I feel like that thing just cut me to the heart. And that's what Paul is talking about here, is that sometimes you read the Word of God, and it's like a mirror that's held up that shows you stuff that's inside of you that you didn't know was there. Stuff that's not good and needs to be dealt with, and stuff that is good that you didn't see inside of yourself. Stuff you thought, you know what, like, Maybe that's for someone else, but that's not for me. But you hold up the word of God, and you look at it, and you read it, and it holds up a mirror, and it penetrates, and it shows you what's inside of you. And then Paul says the word of God is discerning. The word of God divides truth from lies. It's actually pretty easy to lie to each other. It's easy to tell people things about yourself that aren't true, and tell people things aren't true about you that you know are true about you. It's actually even easy to lie to ourselves about that stuff at times, where we convince ourselves that, that, no, that's not in me, that's not who I am. But you don't get to do that when you read the Word of God. Like, you can't really lie to God. I guess you can try, but that is just a strange exercise of stupidity. I mean, you tell, tell God that's not true, and God just kind of looks at you and says, Really? So you sure about that? Because there was this, this thing that happened back there. Do you want it? Was that you? Oh, yeah, that was you, wasn't it? Yeah, I thought so. You can't really lie to God. And we live life so much on the surface. We, live, we, wanna, we care about how we look to the people around us. We want to look a certain way. So much of life is just lipstick and mascara. But with God, you don't get away with that. He cuts past all that's on the surface, and he cuts to the heart, and he discerns and judges the hearts of men. And then he says the word of God uncovers and exposes secrets of the soul. I was probably 10 or 11 years old, and I was with my brother, and we were out in that hedgerow right out there. If you look out the window, that row of trees, we were out there. There's the, the tallest tree over there, and just to the right, there's one that has like these big fat branches, like maybe eight feet off the ground. And my brother and I had made like a fort under that tree. We used to like go out and rake it to make it clean and make it nice. I don't know why we were doing that. It's weird, but that's what we were doing. We are making a fort. And we decided we wanted to make a tree fort because there was like these branches that were like six feet up and they were pretty big. So we, made the, we went up to the garage and we gathered all the scrap wood we could find and we dragged it out there. And I got the four-wheeler, and I put a sled behind it. We were loading stuff on it to take it out there to build our fort. We got a, a coffee can full of nails and some hammers, and we went out there, and we start building this tree fort. And we built the first layer of the tree fort. It was getting dark, and my mom yelled out the back door, and she said it was time to come in for dinner. So we, we took the nails, and we took the hammer, and we took them back to the garage, and we left the, the rest of the wood out there. The first layer of the tree fort was done, but we wanted to make a second layer that was higher up that could be like a lookout so we could see if any Indians were coming or anything, you know. And by Indians, I mean the Schultzes and the Mowers. You know, if they're coming, we <laughs> could be prepared, you know. If Noah and Ben came up over the hill, we could, could be ready for them, you know. So we didn't get to that second layer of the tree fort, and so we, we left the scrap wood out there. And it was like late fall, and eventually it turned into winter, and we kind of forgot about it. And then in spring, I remember looking back out there, and I was like, oh, yeah, that tree fort, I forgot about it. So I head out, headed out there to check it out and see if it had survived the winter. And I got out there, and I had a half sheet of plywood that was one of the, um, one of the scrap pieces of wood that I had out there, and it had fallen over. And I flipped the thing over, 
And I mean, there was hundreds of bugs and ants and worms. There was a snake under there. And Lord knows I do not handle snakes well. I do not like them because they are Satan. So I got the lawnmower and took care of it. But there was all this nastiness under there. And that's actually what Paul is talking about, is that God comes to our heart and he flips over the plywood and he exposes what's there. And sometimes what's there is ugly, it's nasty, it's dirty, we're embarrassed about it, we want to hide, we want to lie about it. But God doesn't uncover that which is in our heart to make us feel bad. He uncovers it because he's actually the God that has the power to bring freedom in those areas of our life. He can bring healing in the places that sin has damaged us and hurt us. He takes shame and he takes it to the cross and deals with it so that you and I could be free. That's what Paul is saying the Word of God does when we consume it. So the second thing I want to talk to you today about is how to read the Word of God. Talk to you about how to read the Bible. Now there's a lot of ways you could approach the Bible, but I wanted to give you this morning five things that have really helped me in consuming the Word of God. The first thing is to choose a translation that you understand. Choose a translation that you understand. Now, people can get really kind of weird and bent out of shape and super opinionated when it comes to translations of the Bible. I would encourage you not to really do that, but just to get a a translation that you can understand and you can read and, and know what it's saying. One really easy way to do that, if you're not sure how to do that, is there's a, a website called Bible Hub, and you can go there and just search for a verse. You can sh- search for John 3.16, and it'll show you that verse in like 50 different translations. So you could read through John 3.16 in a bunch of different translations and see which one makes sense to you and which one you could understand, and then maybe search for a couple other verses and find a translation that you could understand and get one that you could re- read and stick to. I know people that at times have started by reading a children's Bible, And I think that's totally good and okay. And if you're having trouble understanding the Word of God, that's exactly where I would start. And sometimes when you read a children's Bible, it paints an overarching view of what God was doing in the Bible so that when you read the individual stories and the individual letters, it can help you to put it into context and understand, oh, like this is what's happening there. There's no shame in that at all. I would start wherever you need to to be able to consume the Word of God and to get it inside of you and to let it influence you. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to, to someone, and he said the only version of the Bible that anyone should use is the King James Version. And he had a whole lot of reasons for that, and I, I didn't get in an argument with him because that was just going to be a waste of both of our times, and his mind was already made up. But the truth is, the King James Version is not the original version that the Bible, not the language it was written in, it's not the original version As it turns out, that was written in 1611, and if you haven't noticed, the English language has changed a little bit since 1611, and if you try and read the King James Version, sometimes you're going to spend the majority of your time just trying to figure out what exactly are they saying, or I know that word, but it doesn't look like they're using it the way that we use it, so just try and find a translation that you can read and you're comfortable with so that you could consume the Word of God. The second thing, and this has been huge for me, is to choose a time and a place. Choose a time and a place to read the Word of God. Now, what this does for me is it provides some intentionality to spending time with God and reading the Word. It's not just a haphazard thing like, well, if I have time left over at the end of the day, it's like, nope, 
This thing goes on my calendar, it goes on my schedule, just like any other important thing that I'm going to do in my day. And I prioritize it and I say, God, I'm making this a priority in my life. When I was going to Bible school, um, I, I picked a time and a place to spend time with the Lord and read the Bible. And that was in the music practice rooms. So they had these practice rooms where they had pianos and all the musicians could go down there and practice their instrument. And so you'd have to sign out like a, a little time slot. And so I'd sign out a time slot and I'd go down there and I'd practice piano and I'd spend time worshiping and praying and reading, reading the Bible. I wasn't distracted. I wasn't watching April out the window of my room or any of that nonsense. And that did get distracting at times. So I could be in the, in the, in the music room and I could pray and I could worship and read the word. For me, most of the time now, it's either in my office here at church where I, I'll come to work early before anybody else is here and spend time reading the word. Or I'll get up in my house before everyone else is awake and go downstairs before the chaos of the day, before the kids wake up and get them to school. And I'll spend time just sitting next to my pellet stove on the love seat, reading the word of God and talking to God and asking him to speak to me and change me and, and mold me into who he made me to be. So set a time and a place that you can meet with God and be intentional about keeping it. The third thing that's been helpful to me in reading the word of God is to understand the context. Understand the context of what you're reading. Sometimes people will be like making a big life decision and they'll play what I call Russian roulette Bible style. That's where they like flop open the Bible and they open it, close their eyes, and they, they, they reach down and they point to a verse and they, they hope that that's going to be the answer to their question and they read the verse and they take that as the answer to their question. Maybe they're asking God like, should I get married or who should I marry? And they, they reach down and they point to a scripture and it says he crossed the river and found himself a wife and they're like, praise the Lord, it's my time. I'm going to cross the Genesee River and go into Mount Morris and find a wife. And they should know that there are no good wives in Mount Morris. Like, it, it's a rough place. Like, have you ever been there? Like, that's not where you go to, to find a wife. It's scary over there. And then the people that do that, usually like two months later, they're like flipping through their Bible trying to find how to get rid of this wife, you know? Rather than doing that, well, when we do that, when we just like spitball a random verse or passage, Oftentimes we take it and we twist it to mean what we want, when we want, how we want. And if you're going to do what you want, when you want, how you want, you're not submitted to God. And I would encourage you not to include the Bible in your decisions at all. Just go do what you want. Because that's basically what you're doing. Is you're taking a scripture and twisting it to get to do what you want and not really submitting your life to God at all. So I would encourage you to try and understand the context. A few things that have been helpful to me in understanding the context of the scripture that I'm reading. First of all, if I'm reading a, a scripture and I'm not really sure what the context is, sometimes I'll just read a couple chapters before it and a couple chapters after that chapter that I'm reading. And that can help frame up a little bit what's happening and help me understand what's going on. Another thing that you can do is a lot of Bibles will have uh, in the beginning of, of a book They'll have a little section where they give you some historical context on what's happening so you can understand like who this book is written to and who wrote it. It can help you understand a little bit more so you're not just randomly reading, but you're understanding the context of this, the scripture that's written. The fourth thing that's been helpful to me is to read slowly and ask questions. Read slowly and ask questions. Some, like Americans... 
build their lives on productivity. Like you're, you got to be productive and you got to get stuff done and we're always busy and we got this to do and that to do and we got our list and we love to check things off the list. Like we all kind of live that way. And I would encourage you to not approach reading the Bible in that way or that manner at all. I would approach reading the Bible in a slow manner. Sometimes you'll read a verse. Sometimes I'll read a verse over and over again. I was going to read this chapter, but I got halfway through and I got to this verse and God spoke to me in it. And I don't even totally understand what what he wants me to get, but I know there's something there. And I'll just read that verse over and over again. And I'll read it throughout the day and just chew on it and ask God to speak to me and to meet me in that place. We are reading the word of God to know the God of the word. Reading the Word of God to meet with the God of the Word. It's not something to get done. It's not how much can you get consume and how fast can you go through it. But sit and work your way through the Word of God and find God as you read the Word of God. Ask yourself questions. How does this apply to me? What is God trying to speak to me? What can I take away from this and apply to my life? And ask God questions as you're reading. Ask God, God, what do you want me to get out of this? And what are you trying to show me? And what were you speaking in this portion of Scripture? Also, one little small tip. Sometimes in your Bible, if you have a study Bible or something like that, there might be a place where you see a small little parenthesis with a letter in it or something like that. What's going on? There's a picture of it right there. What's going on there is there is something in that Scripture that that the person who wrote the study Bible believes they want you to see and to draw out of that. So maybe down below it might define a word, so it might use a word in the scripture, and then down below it they'll have a definition of it to help you understand more of that, what that word means. Or it might refer back to another time that that word was used in the Bible to help you give context for it. Or it could refer to another story in the Bible that was speaking to that current situation, maybe, maybe an Old Testament prophecy, like when we were doing the um, series leading up, to, leading up to Christmas, we talked about some of the Old Testament prophecies that prophesied of, of the Messiah that was coming, and in something like that, you might see a place where it refers back to that prophecy, so you could go back and read the prophecy and understand the context. The last thing that's helpful for me, the fifth thing, is to pray for God to speak to you and apply what he shows you. So every t- pretty much every time in the morning when I sit down to read, read the Word of God, I sit down and I say, God, I want you to speak to me. I'm not just trying to, to plow through this to get it done so I can say I did it and feel good about myself. I want you to speak to me. So ask him to speak to you through the Word and show you what he wants to show you. And then apply what he, what he speaks to you. If he takes something that he believes is valuable and shares, with you, shares it with you, Apply that thing to your life. Be looking for places that you can apply what he's speaking to you in your life. I'm going to end this morning by asking you the five questions that I told you we're going to ask you at the end of every sermon in this sermon series. So maybe if you have a notebook, you want to take that out and make some notes here. Or if you have a phone, maybe you could open up your notes folder. And I just want to ask you a few questions to see what God is speaking to you right now. What is something you want to do more of? We're talking about reading the Bible today. What is something that you want to do more of? I'll just give you a second with the Lord just to think about that question.
What is something that you want to do more of? Second question is, what is something you want to do less of? What's God speaking to you right now, or what's he been speaking to you through this message? What is something you want to do more of? What is something you want to do less of? What is something you want to start? Maybe you've, you've never actually been super intentional about finding a time or a place. You say, you know what, I, I want to I change that. I want to I put my time and place on the calendar with God. Make that something that's pretty much immovable in my life. What is something you want to start? What is something you want to stop? Something you feel like maybe God's asking you to stop or something that when you look at your life, say, I don't want to do this. For me, the thing that I, want, I wanted to stop as I was working on this message was I wanted to stop letting anything else other than the word of God be the thing that creates my worldview. I want to stop letting other people's news and other people's um, panic and other people's perspective influence my worldview and the way that I see my world and my life and the people around me. And then what is something you want to continue to do? When you think about something you're going to continue to do, anything that you continue to do basically means you're choosing it. So you think about all the stuff you're doing in your life. If you're continuing in it, it's like you're choosing it afresh every day. I'm going to continue to, to do that thing. What is something you want to do more of? What is something you want to do less of? What is something you want to start? Something you want to stop? And what is something you want to continue doing? Lord, we just come to you right now. And uh, we ask you to come and to meet with us afresh this morning. Lord, this morning we looked at reading your word. And Lord, we haven't placed enough value on it. Even if we feel like we have placed value on it, it probably hasn't been enough. We've allowed these other things in our life to influence us and to shape our, the way that we view the world and the way that we view our lives. And Lord, we repent for that today. Lord, I ask you to do such a work in our hearts that your word becomes the primary thing that 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 um, your word becomes the primary thing that influences the way that we see our lives and the world around us. Lord, I ask you to help us to treat your word as precious. We bless you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Bless you guys. Have an awesome week.